0: The preaching text today is from 2 Kings 5, 1 through 19a. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Armenians, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? To give life or death? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean." But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Obama, Abana and Pharpar the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned away, he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God. He and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will accept nothing. He urged him to accept, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant." for your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god except the lord but may the lord pardon your servant on one count when my master goes into the house of remonon remon to worship there leaning on my arm and i bow, bow down in the house of remon when i do bow down in the house of remon May the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. He said to him, Go in peace. The word of the Lord.
1: Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh so a lot has happened since we were last on the narrative lectionary. It's been a couple weeks. Uh and if you remember a couple weeks ago we heard the story of David and Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, about uh David taking Bathsheba for himself and actually organizing the uh, arranging the death of Uriah in order to cover up what he had done. Uh, well a lot of time has passed between that story and uh, this story of Naaman today. It's been about 150 years uh, so lots of generations have passed uh, and uh, a lot has happened historically in Israel uh, during this time. The most important thing to know though is that Israel has now split into two kingdoms. So Israel under Saul, the first king, and under David, the second king, and under Solomon, David's son, the third king, was a united kingdom, all of Israel. So if you think of Israel uh, sort of kind of tall and, and slender here, and uh, it was a united uh, kingdom, all 12 tribes, you know, you've got the Mediterranean, let's see, I'm to flip it for you. So Mediterranean on this side and the Jordan River over here, uh, and it was a united kingdom for those three reigns. After Solomon, however, the northern kingdom broke away. And they broke away for lots of reasons, partly because they felt Solomon was just taxing them and and putting them to too much work, too much labor, uh, and they weren't getting a share in that. But they seceded, and they uh, formed their own kingdom. And so from that point on, you have Judah in the south, and you have Israel, as they called it, in the north. Judah in the south, where the descendants of David reigned, its capital was Jerusalem, and Israel in the north, where its capital was moved around a bunch, but Samaria at this point was Samaria. Uh, the king who is reigning at the time of our story today is the son of uh, Ahab and Jezebel. That's uh, familiar names. Those enemies of the prophets, especially of Elijah, who is Elisha's mentor. So that's about where we're at in, in the history of Israel as you think about it uh, today. And this is a wonderful story that can really be told with its characters, I think. Uh, If you just think about the the people, the major players in this text, in this story, uh, they sort of move it along. So we start with Naaman, right? So Naaman is this um, Aramean. He's the general of the army of Aram, uh, what we would consider Syria today. Its capital's in Damascus. And let me just read again that description of Naaman, because it's actually a pretty formidable description. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, he was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him the Lord, that is the God of Israel, had given victory to Aram. Again, over Israel, who they're fighting. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy right at the end there. Naaman is an imposing figure. He's somebody who is used to giving orders and he's used to having people follow them right away. People go to war for him, people die for him at his command and yet he's afflicted with leprosy. Now, anytime you see that word leprosy in the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, there's a whole host of things that it could be referring to. So today, we tend to think of leprosy as one particular condition where uh, you lose the sense of pain, and so you start injuring yourself again and again, and it leads to all sorts of open wounds and, and, uh, and, and terrible disfiguration. Uh, and that's one of the things leprosy could refer to in that time, but it could also refer to any sort of skin condition, any sort of uh, skin affliction uh, and you know we know there's a whole range of those so of course it could be something as uh, you know that's incredibly contagious and needs to be quarantined it could be something that's really not contagious at all it could be something that's very debilitating or it could be something that's really more of a uh, of an annoyance or a inconvenience uh, so anywhere on this spectrum is covered these, this what we would call leprosy So Naaman is suffering from leprosy of some kind. What this means, we don't know exactly, but it seems like he's still able to do his job. He still seems to be fairly successful. He's still able to go and talk to the king. He's not being shunned out of the uh, city, out of his uh, command, for example. Uh, So it seems to be maybe a little bit on the easier side of that spectrum, but we don't really know for sure. But this is Naaman, a powerful man afflicted with leprosy. So now the second uh, person that we're introduced to is this nameless slave girl from Israel. So Aram, or uh, Syria, and Israel, that northern kingdom, they had been at war back and forth, lots of conflict on the border, and Aram had been sending these raiding parties into Israel. You know, they'd go and they'd attack a village, and they'd take away resources. Um, They would uh, take away people uh, for slaves. They would take away whatever they could um, uh, get away with. This is the, the, the spoils of war, and this slave girl has been taken from Israel, and she is now serving in Naaman's household. She was given to Naaman's, Uh, wife as a gift maybe to get on the good side of their commander of their general she was given and she is now the first witness to god in this chapter so what does she do what does this slave girl do she's uh says to her her mistress to naaman's wife she says if only the uh if only naaman my lord if only he were with the prophet who was in samaria then he would cure him of his leprosy, Samaria now being the capital of Israel. If only uh, Naaman was before that prophet, then he would be cured of his leprosy. So Naaman then goes to the next character that we're introduced to in this story. He goes to the king of Aram, and he goes to the king of Aram, and he tells uh, the king of Aram what this uh, Israelite slave girl has said, and uh, what I think is actually quite surprising, the king of Aram listens immediately and says, why, sure, I will send you right to our enemy's capital city, uh, and you can go and look for this cure for your leprosy. Clearly, the king thinks highly of Naaman, and uh, surprisingly, Naaman is listening to the word of this nameless, uh, at least in the text, unnamed slave girl so he goes now he goes to the next character that we meet the king of israel and he uh, takes along with him uh this you know train of gifts he's got gold and silver and changes of clothing clothing was a uh expensive commodity at that time and so he's got all this wealth that he's bringing with him so that he can buy his cure and perhaps maybe to appease the king of this enemy nation that he's going to the capital of uh as he comes in And he goes up to the king of Israel and the king of Israel hears, you know, he reads this letter that the king of Aram has sent, please cure my servant Naaman of leprosy. And what does the king of Israel do? He tears his clothing. He laments. He's sure that they have just come to pick a fight with him so they can have an excuse to just come in and totally wipe them out. Aram is much larger and much more powerful than Israel is at this point in history. Somehow the king of Israel, the one who's in Samaria, the same city as the prophet who is in Samaria, Elisha, who is going to be our next character that we'll meet, uh, is the only person in this text who does not have any faith that this leprosy can actually be cured. Naaman is immediately, uh, sure, that sounds reasonable. The slave girl, of course, she knows there's a prophet in Samaria. The king of Aram immediately sends Naaman on his way. But the king of Israel, they come to the king of Israel, again, the son of Ahab and Jezebel, and he has no trust that any of this could happen. And so finally, Elisha hears that the king has torn his clothing. This is a big deal when the king uh, tears his robes. Probably they're pretty expensive robes, I would guess. And uh, so he he sends word to the king, and I love what he says in this message. Why have you torn your clothes, he says. Let him come to me so that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. You get the sense that maybe the king should learn that there is a prophet in Israel as well. And so Naaman goes. So he leaves uh, from the king's presence, and he's got his horses, and he's got his chariot, and he's got, you know, the, the folks that are carrying this gold and this silver and these clothes, with him. he's got his whole retinue. He's a powerful man. He's an important man, and he looks the part, I imagine, as he goes to Elisha, and he gets to Elisha's gate, and now what does Elisha do with Naaman at the gate? Did you notice this? I, I heard Lois giggle a little bit when she, when she read this line. He sends a messenger so Elisha's sitting in his house, right? Uh, Naaman, this big important general, is right outside. He comes to the gate and Elisha doesn't even get up. He says, you know, just go tell him to wash in the Jordan. And he just sends him out. And uh, so the servant of Elisha goes out to Naaman and he says, he says, you should go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. And he goes back in and, and Naaman's standing there with his gold and his silver and his clothing. And he's What is this? I expected at least he'd come out, he'd wave his hand over, you know, he'd say some beautiful prayer, he'd do something, call on the name of his God. Couldn't I have washed it home, he says. And I, some of you maybe have seen uh, images of the Jordan River, by the way. It's not a very impressive river either. Uh, it's uh, I guess in the spring, right after the rains, it can kind of swell. But most of the time, it's really kind of small river, large creek. It's kind of more in that range. It's not real clean. Um, don't imagine the Columbia so much as maybe the Yakima uh, or, or even maybe the Sunnyside Canal that goes through town, something a little more like that. Uh, but that's kind of what we're, what we're talking about. Whereas these larger rivers up in Damascus that he uh, references, the Abana and the Parpar, uh, are presumably a little bit more uh, impressive than this Jordan kind of muddy river that he can go and dip himself in. So he's just offended. It seems like he's been come all the way down here and he's just being blown off. Except that there was that promise and you will be clean, right? Dip seven times and you will be clean. So his servants come to him. And this probably speaks well of Naaman, that his servants are willing to come and confront him like this. But his servants come to him and they say, Now, if you—if he had told you to do some uh, gigantic task, to climb a mountain and find this one special flower that only grows there, or if he had told you to, uh, you know, renounce everything and go and live in the desert for a year, or if he had told you uh, to uh, go and, uh, and, and uh, convert nations to the Lord, maybe you would have tried to do that. But since he just said go and wash, I mean, you could just go and wash seven times. And so he does, and he is made clean. And now Naaman becomes the witness to God. So what does he say when he comes back to Elisha? He says, now I know, he says. Got to find it. There it is. Now I know that there is no God in all of the earth except in Israel and he says now please accept a present from your servant and he tries you know he's, remember he's got this gold and the silver and these clothes that have been following him around wherever he goes he says here take these he wants to give them to elisha but elisha refuses he won't take a thing now, Naaman is a powerful man. He's used to, you know, he's used to the exchanges of power. He's used to give and take. This is how power works, right? Even between kings, there's a give and a take. A take. If the king, even a powerful king, wants his servant to get something from another king, he sends him with gold and silver and clothing. There's, there's a give and take here. And, and Naaman is trying to live into this, right? Well, I have been cured and I owe you this, so here you go. But Elisha will accept none of it. So Naaman says, okay, uh, well, uh, if you won't take anything, maybe I can at least continue to worship the God of Israel because I know that he's the God that can actually do this sort of thing. Uh, and so he comes up with this plan to take two mule loads of earth, uh, of like of soil. I think he's, what he wants to do is he wants to take that back to him to Damascus because God is the God of Israel, right? So God is in Israel. So he wants to take a little piece of Israel with him, I think, and he's gonna set up a little Israel in his backyard, you know, spread it out and he'll, he can sacrifice and worship to God on the Israel soil in the middle of Damascus. I think that's his idea, what he's saying. Not the most sophisticated faith, but you know, he's, he's, he's coming along. So he wants to do this. He wants to pay off God, uh, now and, and return to God what has been given to him. Um, except he says, I can't really quite go all the way. And he has that long kind of stammering sentence. It's almost, it's very hard to make sense of what he's saying. But he says, because you know, my 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 master, the king of Aram, he worships Ramon and he's going to go into the temple of Ramon and and he's uh, presumably somewhat frail. So he's going to be leaning on my arm and I'm going to go in with him and he's going to want to bow down. And so I'm going to have to bow down and in the house of Ramon. And, and when I do that, I'm, I mean, I can't really not do that. So just forgive me for this little thing. Let me, when I go in with my master, do it. And what does Elisha say? Go in peace. Now, this story is just astounding to me because it is so different from what we expect it to be. It's this, it's this odd kind of offensive in some ways story. Like, why Naaman of all people? And, and why is Elisha just like, yeah, sure, that sounds good. That sounds fine. I mean, Naaman doesn't seem, he doesn't leave. He doesn't stop fighting Israel. Uh, he's still Israel's enemy, the enemy of God's chosen people. And yet, and yet he is receiving this gift Uh, from God through Elisha through this slave girl that his army captured this Israelite slave girl that and brought back and has serving in his household I mean he maybe has some good qualities to him but he doesn't seem to be exactly uh, the model candidate that you would choose the only other place that I know of in scripture where this story is referenced uh, is by Jesus actually in Luke chapter 4 uh, and this is right at the beginning of uh Luke's or of uh, Jesus's ministry uh, right after he's been out in the wilderness after his baptism and he comes back uh and he goes to his hometown he goes back to Nazareth and he's in the synagogue and he's uh reads in the synagogue and he and he's teaching a little bit in the synagogue and everybody's really impressed with him they say oh this is Joseph's son who's come back you know that you know how that is uh and then he sort of think, turns things around and he says uh Surely you're going to say to me, do hear also in your hometown the things that we heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. And then he goes on and he references this Naaman story. He says, There were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. And then when they hear that, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. And they get up and they drive him out. There's an offense to this story that continues through Jesus's time, because the ones who you think probably deserve to be healed are not healed. Naaman is healed, the general of the enemy army. He seems to treat his servants fairly well, but aside from that, it's hard to see why he deserves it. Why is God on his side and not on somebody else's side? I mean, we can ask this why question all of of the time. Why are some healed and some are not? Why do some have enough to eat and some starve? You know, why are there millions who are facing starvation in Yemen, for example? Why is a white supremacist allowed to go into a synagogue and kill 11 people? Or into a grocery store and kill two black men? or any of the other acts of violence and terror that we have been hearing for the past weeks and months. Why does God allow these things? Why does God act here and not in this other place? Why does God do what God does? And why doesn't God do what we so often want God to do? I don't have an answer to the why. I don't know the whys of what God is doing. But I know something about the what. Because God is using people to serve you and to speak to you and to care for you in all of your needs. God is using people like God used that little slave girl to speak to Naaman. Or like God used Elisha to maybe put Naaman in his place by not coming out of the house, but then healing him. Or the way that God even uh, used the king of Samaria, though he did not know what he was doing, in tearing his clothes and getting the attention of Elisha, right? God is using the people that you do not expect God to be using throughout the story, and yet God does that. And God is doing that even now for us and for you today. Today on All Saints, we remember and honor those whom God is using even now. Maybe not the ones that we always notice, not the ones who are well-known, the heroes of the faith, although there certainly are some of those, but also the little slave girls among us also the, uh, those who help us without really knowing what they're doing, those who are serving as masks that God wears as God speaks to us his love, as God gives to us what we need. Whether those have gone on before us, and many of them have, or whether they are still with us in our day-to-day life, whether they are family members or friends or strangers, we give thanks that God is working. And we don't know why God does what God does. But we can trust God, because God has made a promise to you that God will provide for you and give to you everything that you need, and that when your time here is over, God will bring you to himself. And on that last day, we will all be together as one great and glorious communion of saints. Amen.